Side Hustle Show 76, freelancing for recurring revenue. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, everybody? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. This is episode 76, Freelancing for Recurring Revenue. You'll hear from an absolute pro in this field, Alexis Grant from alexisgrant.com, who built her side hustle into a full-time gig and now manages a team of 10 people. She's going to share how she got started and how you can set your business up for similar results. So Alexis is someone I've crossed paths with online uh, for the past year or so through various uh, guest posting opportunities, which is apparently one of the services that her company offers. So they manage some of the bigger blogs, some bigger sites. Um, and I think the couple that I found her through was uh, the Brazen Life or Brazen Careerist and the Penny Hoarder. Now, I put together a free downloadable PDF with all my notes and highlights from today's call. You can grab it at sidehustlenation.com slash 76 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. Now, if I sound a little bit stuffed up this week, I'm working on uh, a little sinus infection, but nothing nothing too serious. And uh, other news and updates, just plugging away on some projects here. Uh, what are you working on? If I hope you're having an awesome week. And with that, let's get Alexis on the line. Hey, Alexis, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Thanks for having me, Nick. Everybody, Alexis Grant, she's a former side hustler turned full-time entrepreneur. You can find her home base online at alexisgrant.com. And she's the author of some really cool guides for side hustlers, including how to build a part-time social media business and how to turn your side hustle into a full-time business and surpass your day job income in just six months. It's a mouthful of a, of a title, but <laughs> really good stuff in there. Alexis, you, you got started as... Uh, a freelancer, part-time freelancer, yes? I did. Um, I started focusing on social media, and I did that um, on the side of my day job when I was working as a full-time journalist. Uh, I was working at U.S. News & World Report and covering the job market. Oh, I, I think um, like um, our, our, other, our other guests. I can't remember her name. I'm blanking on her name. Kim Palmer? Yes. Yeah, she's a good, really good friend of mine. Oh, We cool. met at U.S. News. <laughs> also yep. in the D.C. area. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, so so awesome. what is what did that entail being a social media freelancer? Well, basically I was helping um small businesses with um running their Facebook and Twitter accounts. Um it was a little bit more than that, but um you know, when you give often when you look at um a small business and where they should be in terms of social, those end up being um the two main accounts. So for the few clients that I had during that time, um, I was managing it for them. So not coaching them on how to management, um, not ha not creating a strategy for them and letting them implement it, but actually managing it for them. Um, and that's what ended up turning into kind of morphing into the business that I have today. So when I was doing that on the side of U.S. News, I only had a few clients and I was bringing in about $2,000 a month. Um, in addition to my full-time job. So it was a good steady income, but I definitely was at a point where I was getting, um, getting 
inquiries from people who wanted to work with me and I had to turn them down because there's only so much you can do when you're working on the side. So I was pretty much at, at my capacity at that point. Well, I think that a $2,000 a month side hustle is uh, something that a lot of people would be really, really happy with. Um, but obviously that wasn't, that wasn't enough. We had to go for more, which is, which is really, really cool. Now, we, like, how did you, how did you find these clients? Um, how did they, how did they find you or was it kind of a proactive thing? How did it work? Well, the first one kind of, um, fell into my lap. I think I was out on a hike with, um, a friend and I actually tell this story in one of the guides that you mentioned, which is how to build a part-time social media business. And he was, um, he worked for a company that teaches people how to drive four by fours. And he was running some sort of overseas trip for people who like to drive trucks. And he wanted to figure out how to get people on this trip. And I was suggesting to him, oh, you should do this on Facebook. You should do this on Twitter. You should reach out to these people. And finally, he turned to me and said, why are you not getting paid to do this? You're really good at this. (laughs) Um, And so he actually, um, he introduced me to his boss, who ended up being my first client. And they're still one of our clients. So we've worked with them for about four years. but yeah, that was, it was kind of an introduction from a friend that helped me get my first client. And then, um, the next few, I think kind of came through my blog. So I was blogging at alexisgrant.com and I had mentioned that I was starting to do this and, um, a few people came, started coming to me, um, and saying, Hey, would, would you help me with this? Um, and it was partly because I was also on Twitter. I specifically remember, I think, I think it was my second client who found me via a tweet and then landed on my website, saw that I might be a good fit and then contacted me and she's still a client as well. So quite a, yeah, a lot of our clients, um, we keep for a long period of time because it's, it's retainer work. So, um, you know, I did it this way when I first started out and we still do it this way now, which is charging a monthly retainer, um, to, do whatever we've agreed to do. So certain deliverables. So the company is paying us the same amount pretty much month after month after month after month. How much does it cost to have someone hire or to someone manage your, your Facebook page and your, your Twitter account? Well, I think when I first started out, I was doing it for, um, I mean, it will first, I guess you should say it really depends on what you're doing exactly and what you decided those deliverables are like for one of the clients i was just doing twitter um and doing kind of like a baseline of tweets for her so providing valuable tweets to her community to help grow her following but then she was jumping in to do interaction um uh and kind of leveling out what we had started with so um you know that that's that's a different thing than being the one who also jumps in and does all the interaction and looks for certain specific people to target. Um, so it really depends on the scope of the project. Um, and same thing when you add on Facebook, but I think at the beginning I was charging like, um, I had a couple of clients, one client that was maybe 500, another that was 750. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a decent amount. Um, now we focus more on we most for most of our clients, not all, but most of our clients we have, we help them with blog management as a base. So the prices are a lot higher because it's a lot more work. You know, we're creating the content, we're editing the content, we're optimizing it for SEO, we're publishing it. And some of these blogs publish, you know, 40 posts a month. So 
it's a m- much bigger scope to to the projects. Definitely. Now, so you obviously had some interest or expertise in the social media stuff before before getting started. And, and it makes sense that people would find you on Twitter. I'm going to find my social media person on social media. I think that uh, makes a lot of sense. Any words of wisdom like for, for people who are looking at, and I love this retainer model, by the way, that's really, really smart um, to even have a predictable uh, revenue stream month after month after month. Yes, I do have I do have a specific idea. But first, um, on the retainer model, it's really awesome. And my dad suggested this. He's he's a, you know, a kind of a traditional businessman, um, businessman. So he was helping me at the beginning think through this. And especially if you're a freelancer, and you're trying to figure out how um, to make freelancing sustainable, setting up some sort of retainer agreement is really um the best way to do it. And it's also in the client's best interest long-term because you're able to make them happy. Um, but whether you're a writer doing social media, doing editing, doing design, if you can figure out how to set up arrangements so that you're helping the same company month after month, it saves you from having to go out and look for the work. So you're saving a ton of time and, and in the end earning more money because of it. Yeah, that's um, that's the challenge with with freelance. I imagine the people who are, you know, kind of churning and burning and and bidding for jobs on Elance and stuff, where it's just like a constant battle. And like you said, and I didn't even really calculate that into it, but you're spending a lot of your time chasing new work instead of serving your existing clients. Um, so that's an interesting way to put. It. Were you were you doing social media at US News, or was it something totally on the side? I wasn't. Well, I was sort of, I guess I, I think I ended up taking over one of the Twitter handles there, but I certainly was not um, at the forefront of figuring out strategy for the entire company. Um, I was helping with it in my particular vertical. Um, and I did a lot of Twitter chats for my vertical, which helped to build that specific following. Um, but I wasn't like focusing on it. So um, what actually helped me launch into it was I had started, I, I got interested in Twitter and, um, and social media and started doing it for my own brand. And then, um, I volunteered for a campaign. So there was a woman from my journalism school. I, I got my master's at Medill at Northwestern university. And there was a woman who had gone to my school who, um, her name was Roxana. Um, she was imprisoned in Iran. Um, and so the whole school kind of like rallied around her and we were doing what we could to, to get her released. Um, and I had done a lot of traveling myself and, um, reporting in overseas. And I, I felt like I felt a certain connection to her, even though I didn't know her, like it could have been me. Um, and so anyways, I, I, I ended up volunteering for this free Roxana campaign. I got in touch with them and I said, what do you need? <laughs> what can I help with to, um, to, to, so we can work towards freeing her. And one of the things that came up was, taking over their Twitter handle. They didn't really know how to target people on Twitter, how to grow a following, how to get the word out. And so I ran the Twitter handle handle for that, um, that campaign. And that was something that I had, I was able to put on my resume or, um, say that I, I had run a, a Twitter handle. I'd run a social media campaign, um, even before I had a paying client. So that kind of, that's, I think that's a good way for a lot of people to, to get into it is first volunteering or finding a way to help out, even if you're not getting paid at first, so that you can transition then into, into paid work. 
yeah, build some sort of uh, portfolio on the side doing the pro bono stuff. I think that's uh, I think that's acceptable. <laughs> a lot of people would be like, "Don't never work for free." You know, your time is valuable, or don't do don't do spec work or something like that. But you know, if you don't have a if you don't have a a track record or something like that, makes it tough for people to pay you the real money. Exactly. I think a lot of people struggle with then making the transition into paid work, um, and too many people kind of linger in that non-paid window for too long. So the challenge is really just pushing yourself to move forward um, beyond it when when you do have the skills that you need. Yeah, time to time to up your game and, and start and start asking for the order. No, really, really fascinating stuff. And so I imagine, like you mentioned, hey, um, you know, writing, uh, design. Uh, web development, any number of these skills, photography could be kind of on a, re, uh, a recurring basis, a retainer basis, depending on what kind of business uh, business you're serving. It primarily is um, business to business sales or business clients rather than going after personal, I guess, um, like someone with a personal Facebook page. That I, don't, I don't know what example that would be of why they would need their account managed. That wouldn't be very personal anymore. Um, right. You mean because they can the company can afford to hire someone. Is that what you mean? Yeah, or, that's what I'm getting at. Like, you know, targeting, uh, targeting businesses essentially that have deeper pockets than just individuals. Yeah. It's kind of a fine line because when you first start freelancing, you often work with small businesses and we still do tend to work with small businesses and startups. Um, but you don't want to work with businesses that are too small or that aren't ready to put some money into, um, investing in an online presence because, you know, then, then they won't be able to pay you enough to make it worth your time. So it is kind of a fine line. You know, you want, you might want to start small, but you don't want to start too small or else you won't be making any money off of it. Yeah. Was there, was there any, like you mentioned blogging for getting clients, was there any specific that you just say, I'm, I'm doing this thing or like, how did you, um, was there a, a specific, um, moment or accelerator that got more attention to the blog or just kind of grew organically over time? It grew over time and I, I can't really pinpoint a moment, but one thing that I've done that has worked really well is um, help people learn to do what I'm learning to do. So showing people how to accomplish what we've accomplished with our clients, um, offering really valuable information that helps people um, grow their online communities or figure out how to optimize for search or all these little things that we work on. Um, by sharing that, that information, it just shows that I know what I'm talking about and my company knows what they're talking about. And even today, we get a lot of leads from that. So we, I think beyond that first client, I haven't actually approached um, – well, actually, that's not true because I just said the other day I kind of reached out to a company that I thought was really cool and I could see that they were uh, – not doing very well on social. And I said, let us help you. You have so much potential here. So I guess I still do sometimes reach out, but it almost never turns into a client and it's not, I don't think it's really that worth my time. So I don't do it very often. What happens much more often is the clients find us and they realize that we're a good fit. And they often come through my personal blog, or even if they don't, they might hop over to my personal blog and get a feeling for my own personality and um, how I approach the world of building online communities and they feel like it resonates with them. And that's, that's why they want to work with us. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense because you're very much, Hey, this is, this is me. I'm a real person versus some of the, you know, the social media companies that you go to. And it's very like anonymous. The about page is just like, 
you know, it reads like a Dilbert mission statement and it's just like, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Like, who, who's behind this? Who's actually doing the work? And so I think that that transparency has obviously served you, served you very well. Did you, so, so your first customer obviously knew it was a part-time thing. Did any of the other customer, these kind of first few clients, did they care that this wasn't a full-time business yet? Well, actually, um, it, I actually, at the very beginning, I started before I was at U.S. News. So there was a period of like three months where um, I was, I was, I had taken some time off to um, do some traveling and I was writing a book. And while I was looking for a job was when I first landed those clients. Um, but then very quickly, I got the job at U.S. News. So I would say very initially, it didn't, I didn't start reaching out as a side hustle, I mean, it kind of was because it was on the side of writing my book, um, and I didn't expect it to pull to turn into a full time income at that time. Um, but it very quickly, um, very quickly, I had to learn to balance um, the two. So, um, no, yes, while well, I was at US of... News, yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say while well, while well, I was at US News, the um, the clients did know that I was working there, um, and I mean, I found as as long as I accomplish what I had promised and, and even beyond, they were really happy with, with the work. And in one case I was covering job search at us news. And one of my clients was actually kind of in the job search space. Um, and that's a little bit tricky from a journalistic perspective. I had to actually get that signed off, um, at, at us news yeah. by my editor. Um, but for the, from the client's perspective, um, she was over the moon about that because it meant that I, knew a lot more about the space and I was able to manage her account um, even better. Right, right, right. Maybe a little bit of conflict of interest on one side, but the other right. client's very, very happy about that. Did, you know, did, did your, did your boss at, at work care that you're doing this stuff on the side? Like with a, with a, a business to business kind of thing, did it matter that, Hey, I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of, my day is kind of blocked off like between nine to five business hours or was it, was there more flexibility there? No, my day was blocked off. Um, I definitely gave my day job my all. And um, because I didn't have that many clients, it's not they weren't like all contacting me in the, during the day anyways. And they didn't need a response during, you know, that they didn't need an immediate response. But I did have, um, you know, I had my email on my phone at that time. And so usually at lunch, I would just look at my, my email. And if there was something I need to be taken care of, I would do it. But generally, um, I was focused on my day job during the day, but the benefit was that that particular job was very nine to five. So, um, you know, I, I literally went home at five o'clock and started, uh, if I needed, if I had work to do for my side hustle, I would do it then. Yeah. And it didn't even feel like it was too long of a day because, um, the job was nine to five. And I think for people who have jobs that require longer hours have a more difficult, difficult time starting a side hustle because they just literally don't have the hours. Yeah, definitely. Somebody pointed out like, hey, your your willpower is strongest earlier in the day. And so <laughs> if you're if you're the first thing you're doing is getting up and going to work, you might be giving your best your best mental energy to your to your boss instead of to yourself. And so it's like maybe True. set the set the alarm a little bit earlier and, and make it happen in the morning if if you're just out of gas come come evening time. Now let's let's kind of transition because I know you're you're selling the the books that we mentioned and some of these these guides um, on alexisgrant.com. And 
as as someone who's put together several ebooks, but I've only gone through through Amazon. So I'm curious why why sell these directly instead of going through uh, a much bigger platform on Amazon. Oh, this is a topic that I absolutely love because um, the fact that we can sell products now directly to our the community that we've created is just opens up a huge. Um, it's such an opportunity in terms of making revenue and reaching, reaching people who, who can actually use what you have to offer. So the main reason, well, there's two reasons why I don't go through Amazon and I actually do have one book on one ebook on Amazon, um, which was just kind of an experiment for me. It was a last ebook that I launched, but the main reason is you can sell at a much higher price point. If you offer an informational ebook through your own site, um, you know, it wouldn't work with a novel or kind of a short um, a really short ebook, but in general, there's certain prices that are acceptable on Amazon and they're really low. And in addition to, to being low, you will also only get to keep a piece of it. So when I sell through my own site, I keep every single cent that the person pays except for like $5 a month that goes to eJunkie. So the costs of doing it are very low. Um, and the, the margin is incredibly high. In addition, I also get to keep, um, I also get to keep the email addresses of the people who purchase from me. So while Amazon is great because it lets you reach people beyond your own community and, you know, people often buy things on Amazon via search. So you are getting new eyes to your products. Um, On my own site, you just have so much more control over how you treat those people once they come into your funnel. And often the people who buy my my guide on how to build a part-time social media business, that guide sells for $24 and I get a lot of buys of that. But often those people go on to buy my other guide about social media, which is on how to create a, a, a strategy for social media. And that's a higher price. It's $59. So often what the people go from buying one to buying the next, and that does happen on Amazon a little bit, but you have to rely on Amazon's engine to recommend it for you. Whereas now that these people are in my funnel and after they buy one book, um, I can show them how valuable the next one is. And if it's a good fit for them, they'll go on to purchase it. Yeah. If you've got a built-in, uh, a built-in platform, built-in audience, I think it makes a lot of sense to go to go direct for, for all the reasons you mentioned. One, Amazon kind of caps you at like a $9.99 price point. Mm-hmm. Or you could, they, they'll let you go higher, but they're only going to give you a tiny percentage of the royalties beyond that. And so they're really kind of forcing the market into into that two ninety nine to nine ninety nine price point. Definitely not uh, fifty nine dollars. No, and I can. It's funny because, like I said, I do have one Amazon ebook which I launched earlier in this year. It's, um, I think it's called How to Des- You Deserve to Love Your You Deserve to Love Your Job. It's called, um, and it's kind of it's like a careers book. It's about why you sh- why you should um, love what you do and how to get there basically. So it's, it's not as the information isn't as niche as a lot of the info products that I sell, which is why I decided to try an Amazon model. Um, but I've made very like the money I've made from that is almost negligible. Um, very little. It certainly didn't cover the time that I spent working on it. Um, and I think there's a lot of like, if you write a lot more books on Amazon, um, you'll sell more copies and there's a lot of other things that you can do if you get deep into Amazon. But from the standpoint of just publishing one book, it, um, at least on the revenue side, it, it didn't give me as much ROI. 
Yeah, no kidding. You'd have to sell you know 100 copies to make uh, the amount of one of one book or something. So that's uh, that in itself is is a powerful one. So what are, what kind of volume are are we talking about? Do these sell uh, primarily during during introduction or during launch phase, or do they kind of continue to to move units every month? For the ebooks on my site, yes. Yeah, they sell more at launch, or they sell a big number at launch, I would say. But I actually haven't launched a new ebook in the last two years, I think. Um, and I'm working on a new one now that I'm hoping will come out at the beginning of this coming year. Okay. Um, but they, it really depends on the topic. The two social media ones sell all the time. And it's partly because we do really well in search. So um, I have a number of posts that rank high in search, for example, one on how much you should charge as a social media consultant. And I wrote that specifically because I knew there was a, a gap there and that that information wasn't easy to find online. Okay, okay. And so now when people search for that, they land on that page. Um, they either, sometimes they buy the book, ebook right away. Uh, they, they land on the post. So they see that I have information to share about this topic. And then hopefully they see a link to the ebook, they might buy it. Or I also offer a freebie, um, that's also kind of around the social media um, topic. So um, often people will, will get that freebie and then they're, they've opted into my list and then late down the road, they turn into um, a buyer. So those two eBooks on social media sell really well. The other ones I have don't sell as well. Um, I have one on how to take a career break to travel that sells for $29. And I usually sell like one a month um, if that, okay. and the other one on, um, how to turn your side hustle into a full-time business. Um, kind of similar. I usually sell a couple of those each month. I ran a special um, a few months ago for that ebook, and I, I sold a lot of them at that point, but I think it was something like 50% off. So, um, But it was just my way of kind of getting it into the hands of more people who wanted it. Um, so it really depends. And I think one of the reasons that some of the ebooks sell better than others is um, – the social media ones, they're, uh, they are intended to help people make money. And often if you have something that will help people make money, they are more likely to spend money on it, if that makes sense. You know, it makes um, total sense. It's an, it's an investment with a, with a very specific outcome that is, that is promising. Mm -hmm. Look, like, hey, you, this is, I'm teaching you how to build uh, a part-time social media. But like, it's, it's really, really specific. And, and mm -hmm. for that, you know, that's worth $29 or whatever the price point was. Mm -hmm. It's also a hot topic. Like a lot of people want to figure out how to have social media clients um, right now. And there's a huge demand for those services. So it there's a little bit of just it being hot right now too. Yeah, and when it's when it's anchored against the the upside, when it's anchored against the outcome, that's when I think you can command those those higher price points. Yes. And also just making people really happy. Um, like I, I get a lot of emails from people who say they that the ebooks helped them finally start charging for for their services, um, or finally go out and get clients. And you know, when someone buys an ebook and then goes in back and buys another one, that they really liked um, the first one. But I do also offer offer a money back guarantee, so I'll get the occasional um, request for a refund from someone who felt like you know it wasn't what they wanted, or um, you know, sometimes you get them from people who probably intended to do that from the beginning as well. But that, you know, that's kind of one of the downsides of selling digital products. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's part of the deal. But that's a good. That's actually a good point to to bring up. It's like, hey, you know, it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything to deliver the thing. So it's like, hey, money back guarantee. No no hard feelings. No questions asked or or whatever. We'll just it's not worth it to fight it. Um, right. And yeah. if that's if that's what seals the deal, then then hey, no problem. Mm-hmm. Who, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Nope. Go go ahead. Did you did you have an income target or a savings target you were shooting for before it was time to give notice at work that you were going to go and and be a full time entrepreneur? I didn't have a, a target, but um, I guess what happened was um, was I I basically landed um, well I had an offer from a bigger client that um, wanted to bring me on board and I had to make a decision between staying with a day job and keeping the side hustle or moving entirely to the side hustle. Um, and the way I like it to describe it is that that client was kind of my core client at the time. So I describe it this way for people who are thinking about like, should they leave their full-time job or should they leave their job to go into freelancing or working for themselves? And one way to make that transition is to have a core client. So I had this person come to me and say, we want you to help run our blog um, and we'll pay you a certain amount, but it was a recurring, a recurring revenue. So I'd get that amount every single month. Um, and combined with my side hustle income, it still wasn't as much as I needed to make um, to be happy. But um, I knew that if I didn't have my full-time job anymore, I could kind of close the gap in terms of my income pie. So when you're in a full-time job, you only have so much time. So, um, you can build up your side hustle to a certain point, but at some point you have to, you have to jump. Um, <laughs> and likely you're not going to be up to the point where you want to be an in income when you jump. So you've got to kind of jump and then, um, have a p- plan in place to, to close that income gap over the next month or a year. Yeah. And have, have some confidence that, Hey, that extra 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week that you're freeing up in terms of commuting and day job time, I'm going to be able to do something productive in that time. And like you said, close the gap uh, in terms of the income that you need to make. Exactly. Exactly. Now, if you're, if you're starting over from scratch, knowing what you know now, is there, is there like a high value activity that you would, you would choose to spend your time on if you only had like an hour a day to work on this kind of thing? Um, Twitter has worked very well for me in terms of making high value contacts. Um, so I've, I've used the platform to connect with a lot of people who have helped me, you know, write for a publication I wanted to write for, or have a guest post appear on a certain site or somebody who shared, um, an ebook with their community. Um, so I think, I guess the whole networking thing is, is really important. Um, and everyone, we all know that, but if you can, if you can think about networking in a little bit more targeted way, so not just like meeting whoever comes to you, but specifically seeking out people who might be able to help you down the line and seeing how you can help them now to create that relationship that can go a long way, I think, towards, um, towards having, um, a sustainable business. So when you first start, you have to do, you're kind of turning your wheels because it takes a lot of work to get those initial clients, but then, um, they start coming back to you over time. And I actually, I forget what the word for this, there's an actual word for this in business that my, my dad was saying to me. Um, but 
over time, like you've, you've, you know, you've put yourself out there at networking events or on Twitter and you've built, you've built a community and over time your things are going to start coming to you and they start turning into business. Um, but it just takes, it takes a while for all those things to kind of add up. And sometimes you have to, you have to wait for certain individuals and product projects to, to, to pan out. Um, so it's, it's just about being persistent. No, I can I can vouch for that. It it is weird because it's not a lot of times it isn't immediate gratification, but you know months down the road you'd be like talking to someone else. Oh, do you know do you know so and so? And you just kind of being a connector in that way. And and as I've made a more concerted effort to grow, um, you know my network over the past year and a half, like there's there's been some things I never you know would have been able to do without that. And it's just really really powerful stuff. How does this like? from the mechanics standpoint, you know, targeted, targeted networking on Twitter sounds, sounds fantastic as a soundbite, but it's like, are you just tweeting like at Pat Flynn, would you mind sharing my ebook? Like, how does that, how does that no. work? <laughs> um, I have a whole course uh, called how to become a Twitter power user that go, that this is kind of the main strategy in that course. Um, but it's basically about, well, you, you, first of all, on Twitter, you want to create a, a baseline of value. So you want to be offering valuable information and tweets and links um, that is going to be helpful to your community. But in addition to that, we like to, to like, this is what we do for our clients essentially. And I do it for my own work as well, which is create a target list. So I actually create a list of individuals who I want to notice me. Um, and I create what I call a notice me list. And, and it's not a list that's public to everyone. It's a private list. Um, and you've, you've really got to, for this to work, you have to really drill down into who you want to notice you. So a lot of people will say, oh, I want editors to notice me, or I want um, bloggers or teachers or whatever, but that doesn't work. Like you have to actually drill down to the individual in order to, to be able to target them. So okay. um, sitting down, taking the time to create um, a target list, and then once you have that, because that's, that's the hardest part for a lot of people is figuring out who they should target – um, then you just look for ways to reshare some of the things that they've offered. So sharing their blog posts or retweeting some of their tweets. Um, how can you help them? Like maybe maybe you're responding to a tweet that they put out about a question they had or a favor that they would like. Um, basically getting on their radar in a really subtle and non-annoying way so that um, you can start to kind of form that relationship and um, it makes sense to start doing that b even before you need something so that you're not asking yourself, okay, how long is it before I've like created this relationship <laughs> and I can actually ask them to share my ebook? Right. It's been three um, retweets over yeah. <laughs> four, four weeks and two at replies and okay, now I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. So if I'm targeting, um, like if I want to get a, a write up or something in entrepreneur magazine, like I start, you know, making a list of people who are contributing, who are journalists, there, editors, there, whatever, and start sharing their content, you know, engaging with them and just not, like you said, not out of a, a, a position of I'm, I'm eventually going to ask for something, but like to be genuinely helpful to them starting out. Exactly. Um, it's harder with big publications like that because if you retweet, for example, the entrepreneur handle, you know, probably nobody's going to notice that because there's a million people retweeting that and who knows who's manning that account. So you really want to, that's, that's a big part of the digging deep is who is the editor that oversees mm -hmm. the section that you want to write for okay, um, okay. or who are the contributors, like you said. Um, so really nailing down kind of the individuals. And this takes a lot of work, which is why a lot of people don't do it. Um, and also sometimes it doesn't work. Like you can't, um, 
that's why you want to do it kind of across the board. So, um, for yeah, example, head, we do this for like a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. I think that's a, I think that's a good, um, that's a good Twitter takeaway. And that's something that I should probably be better at. I, I can make a notice me list. Um, that's, that's actually really cool. Alexis, thank you so much for, for joining me on the side hustle for sharing all this wisdom about how to turn a, a freelancing business into a, a fun retainer side hustle and eventually transitioning that into a full-time gig. Everyone check her out at alexisgrant.com and we'll wrap things up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. Persistence. Stick with it because it's the people who don't make it, they they often just gave up. Um, there's going to be hard times. So I think whether you're starting out or you're in the middle of creating something or you've already you know made it, so to speak, just keep with it because um, persistence, I think, is what what separates out those of us who who um, are able to make it work from people who who, who continue to struggle. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And there it is. I think Alexis's ideas on setting up her business for recurring revenue, building an audience through her blog, selling her products directly, and then setting up targeted lists on social media. I think that all made a lot of sense. And now it's just a matter of, of execution. I mean, could you offer a similar retainer service to, to some business locally or online? What could you help them out with? Let me know in the comments of this episode at SideHustleNation.com slash 76. And while you're there, be sure to grab the free downloadable PDF with all my notes and highlights from this week's call. And you can also access that file through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. And how about Alexis's call to stick with it? You know, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. And so persistence pays. And I know you've got the persistence because you're still listening at the very end of this episode. All right, that's all I got. Until next time, go out there and make something happen. And I'll see you next week in episode 77. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 